Hello, and welcome to the Life Vineyard Church podcast. This week, we are taking a break from the Inside Out series to say farewell to Tom White as he delivers his final preach as assistant pastor at LVC. Tom leaves us with the open-hearted conviction that to follow Jesus is the only way to live, and whatever the cost, it is always worth it. Well, uh, we are really honoured to be here with you all this morning. Um, so many friendly faces, uh, even people that wouldn't normally be here on a Sunday who have come to wish us well and to heckle. You know, we're really glad that you're here. Um, but as ever, we just want to give God the glory and uh, it's all for him. That's why we're here. Today's no different. Um, and the question I've had in my head for this week has been, what do you uh, say after 10 years in a church? Do you say the things that you've wanted to say for the last 10 years? (laughs) What do you say after 18 years in the Northeast? I arrived uh, in Newcastle in 2005, age 19. Uh, Tony Blair and George Bush were still in office. I thought Joel might boo at that point. Where's Joel? (laughs) Uh, The first ever YouTube video had been uploaded that year. I just spent six months living in uh, Fiji on a mission trip. That was a really tough call to answer. And uh, little did I know that I would fall in love with this place and spend nearly all of the next 19 years of my life living here. In that time, I have experienced a range of different things. I did a degree in history, which I've entirely forgotten. And uh, I was involved in a car chase through the center of town in a classic green car. I've served pizzas on the big market which is not something I would wish on anyone. And uh, I've worked in medical records at the Freeman Hospital. I've trained and uh, worked as a journalist for nearly a decade. I've uh, married the wonderful Hannah. Had two amazing daughters, become a pastor, preached a few times, led worship a few times, and even grew a beard during the pandemic. (laughs) Maybe it should come back. But also in this in this place, who said no there? (laughs) Thanks Mandy. In this community, we have have met the most wonderful people who have loved and supported us through all of the ups and uh, all of the downs as well. Whether that's been celebrating birthdays and things we've achieved at work or the birth of our girls, but also through a lot of the hard times, deaths of loved ones and ill health, You guys have always been there for us. And here we have uh, entered into a deeper and deeper experience of the love of God. And we've been together in countless times in his presence. And uh, we truly couldn't have wished for better people to do life with. And I think it's really important at this moment that I just honor David and Nicola who lead this church. Why don't we give them a big round of applause. David hates it. That's partly why I did it. Uh, (laughs) The beautiful uh, culture of welcome and openness that they have modelled since the start was what welcomed us in all those years ago. We hadn't stepped into a church for four years when we stumbled in the back of LVC ten years ago. Uh, But here we found a home that reintroduced us to the love of God in community. And then we couldn't have imagined in our wildest dreams what would we now be on the verge of Uh, Even working for a church felt like a million miles away, and uh, soon we will be a million miles away, but 
uh, even though we're so excited about what lies ahead, honestly, I can say the pain of this decision feels, feels very real, looking at you all. And there might be a sweepstake for how many times I cry. But there's one thing, there's one thing that I'm certain of, and that is God is good. Amen. The full story of why we're moving to Denver is long and mostly boring, so I won't uh, tell it to you now. But in October, we flew out to Denver to stay with the guys there at the church as the final part of the decision process. And the night before we flew, Hannah and I were standing in our kitchen and we had what I would call a proper wobble. And uh, we'd had some amazing prophetic words and pictures and lots of things that had led us to that point. But in that moment, the size of the, uh, the enormity of it just hit us in that moment. And we said, what is going on? And in that moment, we really felt like the Lord led us back to a few verses that I just read that week. And it's in John chapter 6. And so I thought, let's spend a few minutes looking at that together. Um, John 6 is a wonderful chapter, really rich and deep. And it starts with Jesus feeding 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish, which to me sounded like a cost of living crisis miracle, which is great. And then if that wasn't enough, he follows it up by walking on the water. His disciples get caught in a storm. And all of this is just drenched in really rich Jewish historical motifs from the Passover, because Moses, back in Exodus, would lead the people through water to escape Egypt. And then he would bring down manna through God to feed them. And Jesus was doing all this stuff. It wasn't an accident. He appeared at Passover and he was repeating these themes. A multitude of people in the wilderness needing food. And then walking on the water. Miraculous food and power over nature. And the chapter rolls on and we move into Jesus beginning to teach. And the full force of what he teaches only hits you when you understand a lot of that background. He was in the synagogue at Passover and the Jewish community would have been studying the scriptures about the departure from Egypt. And the Jews believed that there was a storehouse of manna in heaven and that bread from heaven would come again when the Messiah came. And Jesus stands up and presented them with this shocking twist that he was the bread of heaven. He was the bread of heaven that would mean they hungered no more. He would be broken for them like the bread is broken in communion. He would be broken for them so we could have life. And so he's, he's just dropping bombshells. And then it gets to this point where a lot of his followers decide it's too much. In fact, what Jesus was saying was too difficult for them, too offensive. And so we read this in verse 66 and it will come up. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered them, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And as Hannah and I stood in our kitchen, the words of Peter really hit us in that moment. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this is an extraordinary uh, exchange. It's one of those moments where Peter manages to hit the nail on the head. He was sort of like a shoot from the hip kind of person, you know, my kind of guy. And uh, that meant he would often get it like drastically wrong, but also sometimes he would get it 
really right. And this is one of those moments where he got it really right. And despite the sight of lots of followers of Jesus turning away, Jesus says, Lord, where else can we go? Who else is there, Lord, apart from you? And Peter and the disciples had experienced something through being with Jesus that had led them to believe that he had the answers to the deepest questions of life. And if you're anything like me, I can be an expert at looking in lots of different places to find those answers. We can look to career and success, the next promotion, the company car, the big salary. But if that is where we find our meaning, it will never be enough. We can look to relationships and sex, but we will be forever haunted by insecurity, by the fear of growing old, by self-worth, those nagging doubts, if that is where we ground our meaning. We can look to money, and again, you'll never ever have quite enough. There's a famous quote by John D. Rockefeller, who was the first ever billionaire in the US, and when asked how much is enough money, he answered, just a little bit more. We can look to popularity, to ground us, but if we do that, we will live and die by what the crowd says. And we'll be captive to cultivating that perfect social media image, like the shot of me with the beard. And don't we see how fickle the world is, celebrities built up and torn down. And then more recently, we told we can find our meaning inside of ourselves. Your truth is ultimate truth. But my belief is this, if that is where we find our meaning, we will be crushed by the awful burden of having to define ourselves. We can all try to find meaning apart from Jesus, but it's my conviction that ultimately he is the person that we must grapple with when it comes to these fundamental questions of life. So we need to wrestle with who Jesus is, but even if we do come to him, we so often do it on our own terms. We say, all right, Jesus, I'm sort of interested in you. But just so you know, Monday to Saturday is mine and uh, you can have Sunday. But apart from that, I'm, I'm in charge. Or we can say, Jesus, I'm interested in you, but my money is off limits. Or my relationships are, are off limits. Or maybe even, Jesus, I like you, but I'm just too ashamed to admit that in public. But Jesus didn't really leave us with this sort of 50-50 Option. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the only way to God. The only way to God. And when he did that, he was being radically exclusive. Radically exclusive. Because he was saying, there is no other way for you to meet the living God. No other way to encounter ultimate reality than through me. But what is incredible is that at the same time, he was also being radically inclusive as well, wildly inclusive, because he made that invitation to anyone that would come to him. You can only get to God through me, but anyone and everyone can come. Radically exclusive, but wildly inclusive. And so as humans, at some point, we all have to grapple with life's deepest questions. And if you boil it down, Dallas Willard said these are the four questions we all have to grapple with. What is ultimate reality? Who is well off and blessed? What makes someone a good person? And how do I become a good person? And I believe that we all answer these questions through the way we live, whether we think about them or not. Through the decisions we make, through the way we spend our money, through the people we look up to, through what we do with our time. 
And Peter had come to the belief that no one else could answer those questions apart from Jesus. And we have to think about that. And the reason Peter had come to this conclusion is because he says next, you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. He had come to the conclusion that Jesus was the answer to those deepest questions of life. The things that we think about when we're all alone, when we're being quiet, when we're being honest about who we are. And Peter had concluded that being a follower of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus, was the way of encountering ultimate reality, ultimate truth. That following Jesus was the true and only way to experience real blessedness, real joy. And that's why the Beatitudes are so incredible. Because when Jesus taught the Beatitudes, he was saying, ignore what the world tells you about being blessed. And I will come to whoever comes to me. If you're meek, if you're poor, if you're mourning. Now being a follower of Jesus doesn't involve changing yourself, thankfully. It doesn't involve fixing your mistakes, becoming a pious do-gooder. It doesn't involve losing all the fun in your life. Being a follower of Jesus simply involves learning from him how to lead your life in the kingdom of God. And it involves coming to the realization that he is with us in all of our circumstances. And in all of those circumstances, we can learn to be more like him. You see, we are not called to live the life that Jesus lived. You're thinking, wow, he's gone heretical in his last talk. Let me explain. We are not called to live the life that Jesus lived. He was a first century carpenter. We're going to struggle. We are called to live our lives in the way that Jesus would live them. We are called to live our lives in the way that Jesus would live them. And that's because your life matters. Your life matters. We are not called to be a church of clones. This place is full of beautiful diversity. And we are all called to be the people that God has called us to be in the way that Jesus would be it. And the place of discipleship, the place of saying yes to Jesus, is wherever you are now. Whatever you are doing now. Jesus is deeply interested in who you are, not just in who you wish you were or who you could become. So if you're a teacher or a doctor or a stay-at-home parent, retired, if you're in pain or if you're sick, if you've got no money or lots of money, if you don't know who you are, if you've got lots of faith or no faith, if you're not even sure why you're here this morning, wherever you are right now is the place that Jesus wants to meet you. And Jesus has the words of eternal life and he has them for you. And not an idealised version of you, not a version of you that you hope to become. You now. You can come to Jesus. And yet even then the word eternal can be so hard to imagine and understand, can't it? It makes no sense to our human brains, having the words of eternal life, and it sounds pretty decent, uh, but what does it mean? So let's pause, and I'm going to ask you a question. What are you planning on doing in 300 years' time? <laughs> what are you planning on doing in 300 years' time? Now, if you're like me, there's a good chance you'll still be stood by your dishwasher drying all the silly plastic bowls that come out dripping wet. <laughs> It's 2023 and we've got AI, but the dishwasher can't dry things. 
Maybe uh, if you're a Newcastle fan, you'll still be waiting to win some silverware. Who knows? <laughs> Come on, it's the last time I had to get one more in. Maybe you've just glanced at your, your spouse and thought, I didn't sign up for something quite that long. What are you planning on doing in 300 years' time? That question sounds ridiculous, but it's actually a really natural question if we truly believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life. In John 11, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus tells us that if we place our trust in him, we will never die. And of course, again on the face of it, that sounds like nonsense. We've had some very special people die in this church in the last 12 months. But what Jesus is saying is this, is that if we open up our hearts to him, then what death looks like for those of us that are still here will actually never happen to us. We feel the pain and the hurt when we say goodbye to people that we love. But for those that have trusted in Jesus, they will enter into his glorious embrace forever. In describing what you become when you choose to follow Jesus, Dallas Willard says this, I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. I am an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And this is so important because Jesus Peter said that Jesus had the words of eternal life. So if that's true, we have become eternal beings. We will never taste death. And if that is true, then what is an appropriate kind of life for people who are never going to cease existing? Or as I asked before, what do you intend on doing in 300 years time? Maybe it's a good idea to make up with that person that you haven't spoken to for two or three, four, five years, or that family relationship that you ignore because it's too hard. Maybe it's time you opened up that box of emotions that you've been keeping closed because of the pain you felt. If we are people that will live for eternity, then it, to me it seems that we should begin to live in that light now, in the light of that reality, we can engage fully with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can become more like Jesus now, not just when we get into glory. We need to say, Lord, come and make me who you want me to be now. And if we're going to live forever with God, then let's start working on becoming the sort of person that will enjoy being with him. I do sometimes worry that if I get to heaven, I may not like him. And that's the part of me that probably isn't much like God. <laughs> so let's engage with the work of the Holy Spirit now. And then Peter concludes by saying, we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And when you look at the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, the word for believed means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to place your confidence in. And the Greek word for come to know means to feel, to perceive, an experience, a physical interaction. And I love this because Peter is saying that our minds have been persuaded and our experience has matched it. 
He's saying, Jesus, our intellects and our emotions have met in the same place and they conclude that you are God. And I love this because too often faith in God can be pigeonholed into the realm of intellect and academia or maybe entirely into the realm of just feeling and, and fuzziness. But the story of Jesus is so compelling and so true that if we open ourselves up to him, both our minds and our hearts will be satisfied by his love and we can experience him. And so as Hannah and I stood in our kitchen, the words of Peter became our words. The conviction of Peter became our conviction. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, we have come to know and experience your unending goodness and your love, your forgiveness and grace, your mercy and your kindness, your beauty and your glory. And so if this is what you are calling us to do, if this is the sacrifice that you're calling us to make, then we will follow you. And we do that as broken people who need a lot of work done to us. My, my uncle, who was one of my heroes who passed away a couple of years ago, used to say this, follow wherever the lamb leads. Follow wherever the lamb leads. And so I guess... My question to you this morning is, where is the lamb leading you? Is Jesus calling out to you today? Come follow me. You've given life your best shot, but come and meet real life with me. And all week I've had in my head the amazing words of Paul in Philippians 3, when he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so at the start I said, I've been trying to think about what do I want to say to you? And it's simply this, that Jesus is worth it. 
Jesus is worth it. And wherever you are this morning, if you're trying to work out what faith is about, if you are, you don't even know who Jesus is, if you've been here a long time, wherever you are in your life, my commendation to you is, is that Jesus is worth it.